in sales, we're obsessed with us-led action, which is I sent out a proposal. How many proposals did you send out this month? A hundred. Great. Who gives a shit? Like I could send a proposal to my mum. <laughs> and it's like, it's an us-led action. The signal we should really keep an eye on is customer-led action. Welcome to the State of Sales Enablement Podcast with your host, Felix Kruger. Insights and actionable advice from B2B marketing and sales experts that share what it takes to achieve sales enablement excellence. Sales methodologies are ubiquitous, but there are only few organizations that A, select the right one for their needs, and B, truly realize their potential. Our guest in this week's episode helps sales leaders with both of these challenges, and he'll share his insights on the effective use of sales methodologies in this episode. Please welcome the co-founder and head of training and enablement at FlowState, Aaron Evans. Aaron, welcome to the State of Sales Enablement. Thank you for having me. We're very excited about our conversation. Yeah, thanks for making the time. And I'm really curious to dive deep in with you on the topic of sales methodologies. But before we get started, just to give people an idea of who you are and what gives you authority on that topic. What's your background and what do you do now? Well, I've spent the last 15 years working in various different sales neighborhood functions across the globe. So working for huge, big, scary oil tanker style, big multinational corporates that turn very, very slowly, all the way through to very small, nimble startups from seed all the way to post IPO, where they have slightly more nimble operations and been working in organizations like that across the globe for the last 15 years. Been really fortunate to have seen lots of different cultures when it comes to sales enablement. So I've worked in APAC, I've worked in North America, I've obviously worked in Europe. And this obviously led to me starting wearing sales enablement consultancy a couple of years ago now, where we go into organizations and we even give them extra capacity or extra expertise around sales enablement as it's become such a hot topic and so strategically important to businesses. And that business is called FlowState. Awesome. In terms of sales methodologies, just for people that might not be familiar because terms are being thrown around quite a bit these days, especially on LinkedIn. So from your point of view, what's the difference between a sales process and a sales methodology? Yeah, it's a really good question. A really good way to think about it is like baking a cake. There's three parts to it, right? Number one is the list of ingredients and that's your qualification methodology. So you probably hear things like pants, probably hear things like bants or medic. So that's the list of ingredients. Here's all the things I need to bake the cake. If I don't have those things, I can't bake the cake. And then you've got the instructions to baking the cake, right? Which is turn on the oven, whisk the eggs, pour the flour in. That's a sales process. So that's literally a step-by-step -step guide of what you need to do within that opportunity or this analogy, the cake. And then you've got the sales methodology, which is how you do it, right? So how do you whisk the eggs to get those nice fluffy peaks how do you sift the flour to make sure that every single grain is separated so it's light and fluffy when it comes up the back? So that's the skill and the competency that's associated with it. So they're the three parts. Now, what businesses often do is they conflate those three things. So they go, oh, we've got a sales process. You don't. You've got qualification methodology. Or we've got a sales methodology or something. You don't. You've got a sales process. And we encourage businesses to really be conscious about separating those three things out because they're very different, but they also need to work in harmony as well. So how would a sales leader go about selecting the right methodology for their business? Really good question. It's a question we get asked a lot, right? So there's a certain amount of things that you should take into account. So first of all is the length of the deal cycle, the complexity of the deal, the complexity of the customer's buying process, the complexity of how many competitors are in the market, which obviously pertains to deal velocity and speed of the velocity. 
Now, the problem is, is that there's lots of different methodologies out there and they all have their merit. The best methodologies actually borrow from all those different methodologies and bring them together to create something that's custom and bespoke for the organization. So as an example, right? So you've got something like the challenger cell, which is a really good methodology, but you can borrow parts from other methodologies to bring it together, to make it more bespoke or suitable for your organization. I guess this is where the challenge comes from with businesses is that when it comes to building a methodology, they often lean on the wrong expertise to build that. So they'll turn around and they'll go, well, I want my sales manager to build it. Well, that's not the expertise of a sales manager is building a methodology. Actually, what you need is parts of the business that have the most robust understanding of that, which is typically sales operations, typically sales enablement, typically leadership based on the knowledge you need to learn. And you bring all that information and all that domain expertise together and you create something that's relevant and important for the organization. And again, the key thing here is that it's got to talk to other parts of sales, right? It's got to talk to your qualification methodology, be that early stage niche qualification all the way through to advanced opportunity qualification. And on top of that, it's got to talk to things like your sales process as well. So if you imagine that your sales process is a detailed step of things that you need to do, actions or tasks that are associated with an opportunity, you should then go in there and decide, well, how do you actually do it? How do you do it in a way that's making it easy for the customer to do it, which is the skill, the competency, the methodology but also for it to be repeatable and predictable for the salesperson and the sales organization to do as well. So the short answer to that is, I generally think to fully understand as many sales methodologies as you can, and then go for a process of picking the right parts of those methodology that are ranging for you, your opportunity stages, and ultimately what the business is trying to achieve. So looking at the whole selection of sales methodologies that are out there and the menu of methodologies to choose from when potentially assembling your own custom one. What are the most common ones that you would recommend people considering when creating their short list of methodologies and which methodologies would you say are clearly outdated in 2022? Well, I'll tackle that first part of being outdated. If you go to about 1988, which is really where the view of sales and the people who were getting involved in understanding sales really, really changed. So up until that point, it was a lot of sort of like coil or mysticism around it. So you had salespeople going, here's what I do. Here's a trick. Here's a tip or a technique that I do. Then in 1988, a gentleman called Professor Neil Raffin wrote a book called Spin Selling. Now this was written in 1988. And the difference with this book is that for the first time ever, an analyst or a researcher got involved in sales and they were dealing with hard data, over 35,000 sales calls. Every single thing that's in that book is just as relevant today as it was 30 years ago or 30 plus years ago. So spin as an example and the ability to ask those questions, learn about the impact of those questions, obviously learn about the need payoff and, and the implications of those questions is fundamentally rooted in what selling is, which is alerting someone that there's a problem, helping them understand the impact of not solving that problem, giving them a clear understanding of what the reward or the outcome looks like by solving that problem. And if you go back to ancient times, that's what people were doing, but this book was the first one to actually codify that. So I think when it comes to looking at the discovery stage in a sales process, having spin as a core principle is a really good thing to do. Well, then you've got the challenger cell, which for me, where the challenger cell is really powerful and impactful is actually in those early stage conversations with customers. So educating them on the challenge and the problem that's out in the market is really, really important. And if you can do that in your outreach, and if you can do that in your early engagement with a customer, it creates real credibility between the salesperson and the prospect. And as you're going through that methodology with Challenger, what you realize, what you're actually doing is, is you're going through a process of really educating the buyer. Now that's so powerful in today's market. 
So if we look at what's going on in sales, and I posted a video about this on LinkedIn earlier today, is that sales is at a really interesting stage where the information that the average prospect or buyer can see has never been more abundant. So your organization, as an example, they can go out there and they can do a ton of research on the problem they're trying to solve, who can solve it, the impact of not solving it, all of that information. Then when the salesperson gets involved, the buyer is really, really educated. So the salesperson needs to add value in a very different way. And one of the best ways a salesperson could add value is helping the prospect make sense of all the information. So you may have heard of the CEB methodology, which is sense making, which is actually going through a process of helping the customer curate all the information and decide what's signals and what's white noise. So when it comes to making a decision, first of all, you're de-risking the decision for the prospect. But second of all, they're feeling that they're making the right decision. Now, I'm laboring on this point a lot, but it's really important. 53% of opportunities in sales at the moment end in no decision. So that's not them choosing to go with your competitor. This is them choosing to do absolutely nothing. Now, what becomes really interesting about that is that if you read the likes of Matt Dixon, who was obviously author of Challenger Cell, his new book, The Jolt Effect, it shows you the main reason this is happening is because of risk. People are petrified of taking risks when it comes to making a purchasing decision. So I think sense-making and jolt is a really good methodology for helping the customer de-risking that decision. So we've mentioned four methodologies there that actually take control of the whole sales process. Challenger, to truly educate the customer at that outreach stage and let them know there's a problem that they may not have identified. The spin methodology is really good to actually do a full-scale discovery to fully understand the customer's challenges and objectives. Obviously, most businesses have their own way of delivering value, so the presentation of value stage. And then lastly, you've got the buying process and negotiation review, which can be taken care of with sense-making and also the jolt effect as well. Now, I'm not saying go out and do those, but there's an example of taking four different methodologies, bringing them together to create an end-to-end methodology that's valuable for the prospect, but also can work within the organization. Have you found that during the pandemic, the way methodologies are actually being used by sales had to change because there was a Gartner study that stated that only 17% of the time of buyer teams spent during the buying process actually involved the vendor and face-to-face interactions. And I imagine this number has come down even further during and after the pandemic. Are there any other ways that sales methodologies or any new ways that sales methodologies now have to be delivered? Yeah, well, I think the pandemic did something really interesting. I think it shone a light on internal sales processes and tech stacks as well, right? So we've seen enormous growth through the uh, pandemic. And I think a lot of this is because the salespeople weren't in the office. So understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it has become even more important. So this big, scary spotlight has shone on that. And what a lot of businesses have realized is that actually the predictability of their revenue model is not often defined by their processes, systems, and methodologies. And that's really, really scary. The businesses are now going back and retroactively trying to understand what that actually looks like. And as an example, like my organization was launched during the pandemic and we've had so many customers reach out. One of their key things is trying to understand how they can create a predictable revenue model. In terms of whether it's changed, yeah, I think it massively has. I think the key thing for me is that it's changed buyer behavior. And in sales, we're always reacting to buyer behavior, although I think we believe that we influence it. I don't think that we do. I think there are bigger forces that influence it. Like the internet, as an example, has completely changed the way people buy things. And sales are slowly catching up with that. So it wouldn't surprise me in the future if we see a kind of wholesale change in the way that sales works. So I think personally, 
there's one function that isn't mentioned enough in sales that is going to become the future of selling, and that's the CS function. I think the CS function is going to become far more commercial than it is at the moment. I think it's going to align a lot more strategically with the organization, be that product marketing, be that marketing teams, obviously enablement teams as well. And I think what we realize now is that winning customers is becoming harder and more expensive, whereas getting customers to spend more with you and also opening up to their network and give their network the access to the value that you can bring is far more important. And we're seeing that growth of CS organizations almost outpacing outbound sales organizations as well. So I think that's the future of selling. It's moving towards how do we create partner networks for our current customers by having a more robust commercial CS function. How do you suggest sales leaders and sales enablement leaders actually utilize all the data being created through sales activity and also through CS, as you said, to use to actually optimize their sales methodology and their sales process? I think it's alignment, right? And I think one of the key signals that alignment is becoming more and more important is that the sales enablement organization is moving further up the business. It's becoming a lot more aligned to strategy. In my last full-time role, I was reporting directly to the CEO as the head of sales enablement. And that's often unheard of. It wouldn't surprise me if there's a space for enablement in the C-suite, because this piece around alignment is so important, is that if you think about the function of sales enablement, it's a conduit between so many departments and the end customer is the sales organization. So you've got strategy, you've got product marketing, you've got marketing, you've got product, you've got the C-suite, all feeding a vision into sales enablement. And their role is to turn that into something that can technically go down to the sales organization and then deploy and execute on that strategy. So let me give you a simple example. If you're working in a business and your overall strategy is to win higher value deals, yet the organization is doing quick transactional deals. There's often a disconnect between the sales labor function and strategy because it's had to go through a CRO as an example. That's crazy. Why is the sales labor function put into a CRO? That's marking your own homework, right? You should have them separate from the sales organization so it can distill the strategy down to the CRO and the sales organization so they go and execute on the strategy. So I think the key thing for me is alignment on what they're trying to achieve, how that translates into sales and how that translates technically into things like sales methodologies, qualification processes, or even sales processes in general, and how that is consistent with the message that product marketing and marketing are giving. And also how that's consistent with things like how products are operating as well and how, what the product team want to see and what the product team are trying to convey in terms of value as well. So for me, I think it's around alignment. And I think the key strategic driver of that is enablement moving higher up into the organization, which is a common trend. So what I hear when you describe that is that a lot of the buyer acumen that is actually being used to design the sales enablement programs is then sourced through those adjacent departments that need to be aligned with enablement to be effective. Is that fair to say? 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's a two-way feedback mechanism, right? You've got mechanism from the bottom through sales to sales enablement to strategy. And then you've got the top down, which is, well, here's what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to do it and the strategy and that feeding down to the salespeople, which eventually feeds down to the buyer. So it does need to be top down and bottom up as well. And businesses don't always get that right. They're often too top down and they're not listening to the most important voice, which is the buyer within reason with the famous Henry Ford quote, if I listen to the people I'd have made faster horses, but it is an important voice to have in the conversation. On that note. How can you really make sure and how can you really test your sales methodology against your buyer's needs and really make sure that the sales methodology doesn't only 
have the focus of generating revenue and increasing close rates and that self-centered view of a sales organization, but really also looks at how you reduce friction for the buyer. Like, how do you best achieve that? Well, it's the age of conundrum within sales, right? Which is you've got your sales process and sales methodology and qualification methodology, but then really you've got the cut and buying process. Now, the key thing is to truly understand the typical buying process within the market that you sell into and try your very best to align that with your sales process. And on top of that, it's how do we arm our reps to help our champions navigate an internal buying process more effectively? Because it's becoming more complicated, more stakeholders are getting involved. And again, like I said before, decisions are ending in no decision more often than not over 50% of the time. And I think there is something there around data, which is very important. I think the analysis of pipeline, the analysis of closed loss deals, the analysis of sales signals and data in general is really important. There's a challenge of separating out the signals from the white noise, which is always a challenge. And I do think sometimes there's too much data. And I don't think that data is organized by the right thing, which is stages and customer-led action. And this point here is really important, this thing around customer-led action is that in sales, we're obsessed with us-led action, which is I sent out a proposal. How many proposals did you send out this month? A hundred. Great. Who gives a shit? Like I could send a proposal to my mum. <laughs> and it's like, it's an us-led action. The signal we should really keep an eye on is customer-led action. How often is a customer deciding to bring another stakeholder in? How long is it taking for a customer to request more information, request a proposal, request a next step? How well is your customer putting you in front of legal, putting your T's and C's in front of legal? These are the things that matter. And then once we understand that, we model that data out and we try and make it work in our favor and make it predictable. We're obsessed with us-led actions, sales-led actions. No one cares, particularly the buyer. I can only agree. I don't know about your experience, but from my experience, there's hardly any organization out there that I've interacted with that really has gone through that process of mapping the buyer journey and organizing the data accordingly. What's your experience on that front? Who cares about the pesky buyer, right? I mean, it's the most important thing. Well, yeah, yeah. it's hard, right? Because I do feel the friction between the two, right? Because you've got this huge part of the organization where so much cost and spend sits, which is the sales organization. And its primary objective is to bring in business. So what's the easy thing to do? Well, let's measure effort. That's the easy thing to do. How many calls are they making? How many proposals are they sending out? How many meetings are they booking? Because we see that as being demonstrative of success, right? And I guess when you're in an early stage startup, it kind of makes sense that you look at those things and you should have some minimum standards and you should hold people accountable to effort, which I think is really important. But that's what it is. It's designed to be there as a performance measurement. Like, are you doing the right things? It's, it's measuring output, right? What businesses don't do is they don't look under that layer of what's the performance measurement of the buyer, because that's the most important thing. Now, we go through a long drawn out process with all of our prospects and customers to educate them on this and let them know the importance of it. Because once you crack the code to that, you start making it easier for the buyer to buy. And that's the key thing is that so much of this is around leading the buyer, but making it easy for them to buy. Now, at the top of the funnel, you've got making sure that they're the right buyer, they're the right person, you've got a good fit for what you're trying to sell, and they understand the problem they're trying to sell. But actually, having that is really easy. It's so easy. If someone's got a bit of a notional problem and you can solve it, it's really, really easy. The hard part is navigating the buying process. Like, on a chartered, choppy terrain that people sometimes don't know how to do it. And this is where sales can add value. It's helping the customer by perspective of how their customers buy and how they've got about this process and help them do that and engage that. So the short answer is 
Not as many as you'd like, but it's definitely becoming more of a priority for businesses to try and understand the buyer process versus the sales process. Now, let's say a business has done their homework, has analyzed the buyer journey, has defined their sales process, assembled their new sales methodology based on the best stuff that they could find out there. How would sales leaders and sales enablement leaders now actually go through a process of actually introducing a new sales methodology? What are the steps required and the mandatory steps you recommend? Well, you'll know this better than anyone. The first thing you always do with any sales and open is you explain the why. You've got to take people on the journey. And on top of that, they're salespeople. So you've got to explain how ultimately it's going to end up with a better outcome for them. And that's more revenue, more predictable pipeline, easier to use, which is something that's often forgotten about in sales enablement. They go and create 400 page playbooks that no one's ever going to read. The second part is precisely that. You make it easy for the end user or the end customer, which is the salesperson. You make it really, really clear and concise how they use it, why they need to use it, and it needs to be user-friendly. This for me is a big issue in sales enablement at the moment, is that we are bombarding salespeople with tools, with data, with training, with stuff that ultimately is perceived to be a nice to have as opposed to a must have. We've got to start really, really refining and iterating our tools and systems and processes that we put in place and have the end user in mind, which is the salesperson. It's exactly the same thing. No different from the salesperson to the buyer. It's the same in sales labor function to the salesperson. They are our end customer at the end of the day. And I think that's a really important step. The last part I say around this is certifying the salesperson on it. So once you train them, once you coach them, once you develop them, and there's another important stakeholder in there, which is the sales manager and middle management. You train and coach and develop them first. So there is more clued up than the salesperson when you bring in the training for the salesperson. And then you certify the organization on it. You go through a process of building out role plays, building out quizzes and tests, building out playbooks, workbooks, and you certify them on the usage and the success of those. And then once you've got the certification back and you've got a minimum score of what certification needs to be done, if people miss that, you recertify them again. And you keep doing it until the business is fully aware of how to do this, why they're doing it, and ultimately the outcomes that it drives. And then you test and iterate. So if there are parts of it, you're getting feedback from your customer that isn't useful or valuable, it's having a bad response from the prospect. If you start noticing trends and you're modeling that data, you go back and you iterate and you change it. They're the key steps that I would take. But that one there is so important about sales enablement, not forgetting who the end customer is. And this is a big issue for our industry at the moment is that not enough sales enablement people are coming from sales. They're coming from sales ops. They're coming from these areas where they don't even know what it's like to be on the phone to a customer and deal with an objection in the moment. And that's really, really worrying. We need more sales neighbor people with a sales edge. So if anybody is listening and wants to learn more about some of the methodology you mentioned, are there any resources that you can recommend people look into? Yeah, but there's three books that I think are really important. So I always mention these three books through the Holy Trinity, which is obviously spin selling. Never Split Difference is really cool for negotiation. And there's loads of stuff that can be extracted from this that can help you come up with negotiation frameworks, negotiation methodologies. And again, this is a very popular book that most people with sales now know. And obviously there's The Challenge of Sales and The Challenge of Customer as well, which are two really important books. But I guess the key thing here, right, is that there's an endless resource of information out there, which is now LinkedIn. And obviously there's tons of Slack groups out there as well that people can tap into. It's always worth going through the process of reaching out and asking what's successful in other organizations. And, you know, I'm not alone that I've created a sales enablement consultancy. I'm sure there's others out there as well. That these businesses can come in and obviously help you build that and then hand that over to your sales enablement function. This is by no means a plug. This is adding the extra expertise that you may not have. 
And again, I think the key thing here is being bespoke about really understanding your business first and then picking the right methodology based on that. So there's tons of resources out there at the moment. Here's the thing and the great thing about LinkedIn is that you can go on LinkedIn and find the people who've invented these resources, connect with them and ask them questions. So I tap into your network on LinkedIn. It's so easy to do. Aaron, on that note, thank you so much for joining today. And if anybody wants to learn more about you, your business, follow your content or connect with you online, where can they do that? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Obviously, Aaron Evans, you'll find me. I've got my hair down in that. I'm pretty unmistakable. My business is flowstagesales.co.uk. And again, we're a sales enablement consultancy. We help businesses challenges exactly like this. And obviously, I've got my YouTube channel where I give away all of our content, all of our tips and hints. And I talk through some of those books on there as well, which is Air 11 Sales Training on YouTube. So I really appreciate taking the time to talk to you today. I've really enjoyed it, although it may have turned into a bit of a rant at some point. So apologies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Aaron. No worries.